Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Kara Dangerous Talk. Look, I'm hyped up today. It's Sunday. I don't have Ron Hurt the third, the second here. Oh, he's gonna kill me. But I do have Dr. Afia. Dr. Afia, how are you doing today? I am well. How about you? I am, you know what? I got up this morning, I had my coffee. You know, I was looking at my notes for this show. I'm ready to go. Um you know, I like you a lot because you're a smiling therapist. You always got a big, wonderful, beautiful smile on your face, you know, a nice hairstyle, and <laughs> you just give off such positive energy, and I love it. Thank you. Thank you. I definitely uh, just had wash day, so yes, I was wet. <laughs> now, you know, you. I haven't spoken to you in this kind of way since, I believe, the first season of my show. Um, I don't really know what season I'm in because I lost count, but I think it's like the third season. But my point is, is that it's been a minute and we had such a great conversation. I wanted you back immediately, but, you know, life happens and all sort of, sorts of things happen. But, you know, you were a fan favorite because you gave us <laughs> so much information and we had such great dialogue and uh, rapport with each other. You know, and I do remember Dr. Field. Well, no, before I get into that, tell people what you do, because you're you're. You're a psychologist and all that stuff, but I want you to tell folks what you do before we get it, get into the meat of it. Excellent. So my name is Dr. Fia and Billy Shaka. I'm a clinical psychologist and a hairstylist. And so I've developed something called psychotherapy, where I use hair as an entry point into mental health services. So I train hairstylists, barbers, how to do mental health first aid. I have a private practice where I see clients for therapy, for individual and group therapy. So that that's me. Mm. Yes, I, I love all that that you do. And somebody said they like in my hair. So I appreciate it. <laughs> I do, too. I, mean, that, I, I should have started. I should have led with that. Looking real healthy, too. Well, I appreciate it. About time. My sister put this little thing together. <laughs> <laughs> Look, so I want to start here because last time we talked, we were in the midst of COVID, right? Like mental health. You said business was booming for you. <laughs> it still is. People were coming in. But before we tackle that issue, I want to say right now, you know, my nickname is Kara Dangerous, but I can't lie, Dr. Fia. Like, I lost my cat of 14 years to cancer a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, he had been with me for 14 years and I had lived up north in the coldest temperatures, right, from for a person that came from the south you know, dealing with blizzards and these snowstorms and just, just cold weather. And, but my cat and me, we hung together. That was my buddy. That was my pal. And as tough as I like to appear, I can't lie, Dr. Fear. Once I know that I love fall now, but once I see it starting to get cold and that sun, I'm not seeing it as much. I feel I get a little nervous. Like I'm like, okay, mm. is this winter going to bring me depression? Mm. It's, you know, I just, I just, not full depression, but I just feel a little different. Like it, you know what I mean? Especially up north, it just seemed like the sun didn't shine as much. What do you know what I'm talking about? Like, what advice do you have for people when these winter blues, as I call it, start coming around? Mm. Well, I'm 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 so sorry to hear about this loss. 14 years is such a major relationship. <laughs> yes. I acknowledge that. And and yeah, I'm just thinking about, um, you know, what grief and loss already does to someone, but the complications of the weather. Um, there's something called seasonal affective disorder, also known as SAD. 
that mm -hmm. literally translates that when it starts getting into the fall and into the winter months that people of color, especially black people get much more in their feelings and in their mood in the in the cold weather. Mm -hmm. um, there's a huge relationship between our mood and the sunlight, right? Mm -hmm. And that that this sort of perks us up, activates our, our minds. Okay, you got me out there. In the I mean, boat. this is the wintertime photo and you're still smiling. So I said, you know what, this is what I need to do. Maybe I should be more active in the yeah. winter. Yeah, sweater, weather, weather, sweater. I can't even, sweater, <laughs> weather. <laughs> you gotta get those scarves. Okay, you do your 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 search, uh, your research. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of things to do. Um, I had done some posts around it because it's such a common concern about making sure you get vitamin D, um, like as a um, supplement because that can have an impact um, when the, there's minimal sunlight to make sure that you're warm because there's something about like your bones and blood and stuff being warm that keeps you emotionally warm. Um, there could be other factors like getting a sun lamp. So that's actually a prescription. You can get a prescription from a doctor that you get this very special lamp. A sun lamp? I've never heard of that. Yeah. I heard of salt lamps but never a sun lamp. Yeah, it's a, supposed to like mimic what the extra sunlight is because in the mornings, especially, we tend to feel more sluggish and depressed. So since it's still dark outside, um, you know, with the daylight savings and all that stuff that you actually can shine this lamp on you for hours a day to sort of activate uh, the feel good hormones and um, I guess maybe like the neurochemicals in the brain to be able to... Um, perk us up to be in a better mood so there are things to be done well let me ask you this because that's a that's a thing but I'm always about speaking into existence right and so if I want to speak to myself uh Dr. Phil when I as soon as I see this change in the weather and the change of um how it's looking outside I I, I equate it to being gloomy okay mm -hmm. what can I start telling myself what can I start speaking into myself to kind of keep myself in the right mind frame once I see that this change in the weather is starting to happen well I like to lean into what our ancestors would, would talk about I love African proverbs mm -hmm. there are thousands can be thousands of years old this wisdom that's passed down from generation to generation I think there's a proverb that goes, no matter how long the night, the sun will always come or something like that, mm -hmm. um, that speaks to that there will be darkness, but that is an opportunity to some degree to plant seeds for what you would like to birth or rebirth in the spring. Mm -hmm. So um, for example, our Kemetic or ancient Egyptian ancestors really honored the winter um, through something called the winter solstice, right? So the winter solstice is the darkest day of the entire year. Like there's the least amount of sunlight, but that's when they would do the most like rituals in terms of gathering together, planting things, having conversations, like cleanses. Mm -hmm. So sort of releasing those things in the dark or planting things that you want to manifest. And so I, I, I lean into our ancestors in that way. Well, thank you. I'm going to continue to, to speak myself up and stay as optimistic as possible <laughs> through these winter times. 
Now, like when we first got on here, I said, you know, we we talked in the beginning, um, our first time doing COVID. Now, I don't I don't know what what the end parts of COVID is still going on, right? It seems like it's just gonna be a normal occurrence for us, right? Mm-hmm. But Dr. Fia, we've been talking about this on this show, inflation. For the first time in my life, I have to, uh, you know, I've always worked in corporate America, but I took a little job and I'm doing retail for the first time in my life. Mm-hmm. And what I have to tell you, Dr. Fia, <laughs> is people are broke, okay? People are B-R-O-K-E. They're broke, okay? And when you're broke, sometimes you get angry, Dr. Fia. Mm-hmm. And what I'm seeing is that, you know, I don't know if it's people going to need anger management, but I mean, I'm seeing people steal out of stores every single day. Mm. And seems, they look like able-bodied people. I don't know. But what do you feel about this this kind of situation we're in now and how it will kind of affect mental health? Just give me anything about what I just said about money, people dealing with anger, because when it's a lack of resources, the stressors of that, like right now in America, we got some places that are running out of water. Some places have mm. dirty water and they can't mm-hmm. access the water. Um, just watching on the news this morning. Some people don't even have water to be able to flush their toilet. So mm. this is high stress. Mm. Yeah. And upsetting. Um, I, I'm thinking about two psychologists um, related to restricting resources. There's someone named um, Skinner mm. and Amos Wilson. Um, Skinner, you maybe have heard of him that he would have these boxes that he would put pigeons into and make them do different behaviors or would put rats in these different mazes to make them do different things. But the way that he would get them to do these behaviors is that he would starve them. Mm. He would starve them and give them food as a reinforcement to basically shape their behavior and get them to do what he wanted them to do. Now, there's a famous Black psychologist named Dr. Amos Wilson. And so he said that we don't need to identify with Skinner in the situation. We need to identify with the rats and the birds. (laughs) Because to what degree is our behavior being shaped by restricting resources? Mm -hmm. And that when food or money comes up, how can that control our behaviors? Um, The the thing is... um, When you restrict resources so much, it's going to create violence, right? That this becomes Mm -hmm. life or death. And so we have a survival instinct. Most of us do. Mm -hmm. um, If it hasn't been taken out of us, that we want to survive. And so you're probably willing to do anything. Yes. Steal, fight, whatever, to get that those resources that you need to, to live. But to think about we're not in charge of the water. We're not in charge of the electricity. We're not in charge of the inflation rates. We're not in charge of these different things. And so to recognize, well, who is in charge of this and how do we direct or redirect the anger towards them versus each other? I love everything you just said there. I'm going to tell you, they stealing, doctor. <laughs> they out here stealing for real. <laughs> I want to go to an audience question. It says, can you explain if you think COVID-19 actually contributed to the increase in disorder? And if so, how? Mm. Yes, I think that um, we don't heal in isolation, right? Mm-hmm. That that actually one of the symptoms, for example, of depression is isolation. <laughs> and uh-huh. so that, that we've been forced into this condition of being alone or not getting the support or 
um, just this ongoing stress and fear that I definitely think it has impacted our emotion regulation. Um, you know, our emotions are ways that we communicate with other people. But if there are restrictions because we're not in person or restrictions because of time and having to overwork, um, then it underdevelops us um, and limits the way that we actually restore ourselves and um, feel better. So I definitely think um, COVID has hugely impacted mental health. Well, let me bring this to a personal um a perspective for me. Um, I spent time in New York after I left Connecticut. Of 11 years, I was in Connecticut and I went to New York. When I went to New York, just one or two months in, COVID just hit us. And you know, it hit New York like really bad. And, you know, I'm such a person who loves spending time with myself. I've had neighbors who've, who have asked me, am I a hermit or, you know, or, or whatever. But I really and truly enjoy spending time by myself. But, you know, because I have people like you in my life, and I do know that, you know, a lot of isolation isn't good. But my mom was saying, like, Carrie, you know, just sticking there, sticking there. But, you know, when you're in New York, the people, they're cool. But I felt like at the time there are already people in New York, they're not trusting. And then mm -hmm. you compile COVID on top of that. And it's like nobody wants to talk. Nobody wants to be your mm -hmm. friend. So I was just really they're isolated. So I guess I'm just trying to ask you, I guess from hearing what you just said, it was good for me to remove myself out of that situation, coming there and not having any friends and being in that situation where it's kind of hard to meet friends at that time. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're talking about something important. The number one relationship that you'll ever have in your entire life is with yourself, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of recognizing and studying yourself and being able to um, make a distinction between yourself and your environment. Um, I'm kind of similar to you in the sense that I recharge from isolation, mm -hmm. like the quiet time, um, alone time, time to reflect and kind of remove toxicity, right? Right, right. Um, in terms of if the relationship isn't a high quality, then actually getting away from it is the healthier option. Um, so I'm just, yeah, thinking about how if we're too um, absorbed in our relationships, it can have consequences as well. Well, as we take a little second here, I want to tell everybody that's joining us on any social media platform. Thank you. Hello and welcome. And make sure you go ahead and hit that like button and make a comment as well. If you have a question for Dr. Afia, feel free to put it in the live chat. And thank you guys so very much. Dr. Afia, but it's always in the back of my mind, like, at what point is the crossover? Because like you said, we like spending time alone. Even, I know you're not a sex therapist, but even when it comes to sex, like sex and being alone, like I could be alone, okay? But at what point should you say, okay, I'm starting to cross over to being a little, not crazy, but like I'm getting a little weird. I need to like go out and have a drink with some friends. Because I feel like sometimes we have to tell ourselves, okay, look, get out a little bit yes yes okay i like to think about the four d's um mm -hmm. as a way to remember what can transition from a like normal healthy behavior to one that can become a disorder mm -hmm. so the four d's um deviance distress dysfunction and danger deviance distress dysfunction and danger so deviance Basically, is this what the average person is doing? So let's say that, you know, during COVID, all of us have been washing our hands a lot, right? And monkey pots and all that, like hand washing. Yes. Um, but in terms of understanding deviance, there's going to be people who 
let's say the average person washes their hands like eight times a day. Let's just throw that number. Okay. Using the bathroom, cooking, maybe coming in outside of the house. But there's going to be people who wash their hands 80 times a day. Mm-hmm. And there might be people who wash their hands eight times a year. Right. So getting into that extreme that exists. Right. Oh, my. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lamar Oden, a basketball player, was on BT College Hill. And Ray J and Nene Leakes and all of them, they noticed he did not wash his hands. And he would immediately go to like give them a high five. <laughs> but then they realize he he didn't wash his hands, and I just want to say that to people because it don't matter the status of a person, it don't matter how you think they appear. You really don't know how clean a person is until you can see their total environment. Like you just will be surprised. Just yeah. don't about it. Yeah, yeah. So so that that's deviant behavior that he was <laughs> hands. So deviant, just what yeah. doing a behavior that's kind of outside of the norm or the average. So that could be alone time. Some people maybe are spending t- like the average person spends a certain amount, but to be on either extreme, always needing to be by someone all the time is actually a disorder, but never wanting to see one anyone ever is also a disorder, if that makes sense. Um, okay, deviance, distress. It's um, distress basically means does this behavior make you upset? Like, do you not like yourself because you do it? Do other people not like that you do this? Is, a, is it a problem for your family and friends that you're doing this thing? Or is it a problem for you? So we got deviance, distress, dysfunction. Dysfunction, does it interrupt your ability to work, to be in relationships, to um, yeah, like take care of yourself? Um, if you never want to leave the house and you're, you know, gaining lots of weight, is that good for you or not? Um, and then danger. Does this behavior cause harm to yourself or someone else? Mm-hmm. And so uh, thinking about that for every thought, feeling or behavior, those four D's. And that's how I kind of distinguish what's healthy versus unhealthy. The four D's yeah. would distinguish mm-hmm. what is healthy. You know, I had something I want to say, but it kind of I, I kind of lost it. But I'm sure it'll come back to me. Um about the cleanliness and everything. Yeah. Um, I, I want to get... Because <laughs> you, you just never know, doctor. No, I'm like, Ooh. You have to, like, you pray over food. If you dated somebody new or something, you just have to pray that they is clean. And I don't know if people think about that like they should, you know. <laughs> I want to... I want to... I'm going to just flip and flop around here because I want to get into some hair stuff, okay? Because, like you said, you have your hair... Um, Psycho hair therapy. Psychotherapy. Psycho hair. Psychotherapy. I like that. So <laughs> it says that you're connecting psychology to hair care. Yes. Yes. Um, and would you like to go in further about that, Doc? Yes, I would love to. There, there is a huge relationship between our hair and our mental health. To some degree, our hair is like a litmus test. It lets us know what's going on inside of our minds and our bodies. Mm-hmm. That when our hair is not cared for, oftentimes we might have some challenges in caring for ourselves. But if it's like so perfect, are we putting those pressures of perfection on ourselves? So it really can show the health of the body and even the health of the mind. And I really do think people who do hair, whether it's a sister or a mom or um, the uncle that gives the cuts or the pro- trained professional stylist or barber, 
they have a big role in our community in terms of really taking care of folks um, that are vulnerable, right? Because if you think about somebody getting a haircut, there's like a blade to their face or their head mm -hmm. um, and really having that trusting relationship. And so I, I really lean into, again, that the work of our ancestors, that this is the way that healing took place oftentimes for thousands and thousands of years to use hair as a way to um, care for yourself and care for other people. Well, you said ancestors. So ancestors makes me that word think about elders that we have currently. And so I saw this on your page and I said, of course, it had to be a black woman. Um, but I, I never knew this lady. And I want you to tell people who she is because you say she is the mother of black hair psychology. So just go ahead and let us know who this is so we can get that historical part of hair. Yes, yes. I, I smile and see her. This is Dr. Marva Lewis. She is a professor at Tulane University in New Orleans, and she has something called hair combing interaction. In the 90s, she was studying parent-child relationship in Black families to see how do people get emotionally bonded. And she recognized that this oftentimes happens every single day through the hair combing process. Watching Black mothers and their children um, seeing how the conversations look between them. She developed something called talk, touch, and listen. Again, it's called mm. talk, touch, and listen. And so she trains parents how to strengthen the emotional connection with their children through the hair combing process. So how to have conversations, how to not pull too hard, how to affirm and um, have gentle touch, how to affirm their blackness and the coils and kinks of their hair. Um, during this daily experience as a way to prepare them for the world and protect them against the world. So I got all excited because I love Dr. Lewis. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad I brought her up because people need to know that, you know, um, I don't know if many people are aware of hair psychology, but something I've always heard, and I want you to tell me how true it is, and um, hair and energy, the connection with, and especially black hair and the coils and the being a, I don't know if it's an eight or a six or just being divine, but uh, tell us about that part. Yes. Yes. Woo. Okay. You're getting me even more excited now on that question. <laughs> so, um, there's a big connection between hair and energy in the sense that um, hair is the highest point on our entire bodies and therefore the most connected to the, to the divine. To some degree, mm -hmm. our hair is like antenna and it can pick up on other people's energy. I know growing up, my mother always told me, and I'm assuming yours did too, don't let anybody touch your hair. Right. And I would think about that message. There could be several reasons for that, right? That maybe she spent so much time, she didn't want anybody messing it up, but also that this is, you know, your physical body. This It's like somebody coming up and touching your butt or something. That's still it's your, your crown. Yes. And to yes. even think like this, this is even more sacred of a space in terms of the connection to your nervous system, um, the connection to your ancestors and your family um, and all of that. So how, how sacred and protected it is. And oftentimes when I look and investigate different healing rituals on the African continent, it involves hair that whether someone is um, having a wedding, right? There's all these different hair rituals that people go through or rites of passage or um, a name, baby naming ceremony, or even a death. We all, they tend to involve hair as part of that energetic transition. So um, yeah, hair definitely is sacred and energetic. And sometimes people need to cover it up, right? To protect it, or even then others putting different adornments to attract certain energy as well. 
Now, you may not know the answer to this, but because this has always been what I've heard about hair and energy, is there a way we can pull on that energy? Like, how do we feel that energy in our life? Because, you know, I got a lot of hair. And so and, and, and they would pick on me in school and call me Mufasa back in elementary school. But that's fine. That's a lion. You know, that's the key. Yeah, that's the that is a powerful. That is a Mufasa was no joke. So good. <laughs> and I do kind of like a lion. So, it, you know. I um I leaned into that, but but anyway, how how can is there a way to access that energy to to mm -hmm. make it more abundant or, um, instead of just knowing that it does give us energy, I'm like, how can I actually feel that? Mm -hmm. Wow, I haven't thought about this question before. Um, it's okay if you don't know it. I just I just no, thought about that when I'm with myself. Sometimes I'm like, is it just something that's you know, maybe it just give us strength when we don't even know it's giving us strength, you know, Ooh. maybe it's subconscious. Yeah. No, no, this is good. This is good. Cause I'm, I'm just thinking about what different styles can sort of how they can elevate it. Like I was even saying that if, you know, hair is um, the highest point of our bodies, how do we make it higher and bigger to pick up on certain things? Cause there was even research studies that had come out saying that when, um, Native Americans, you know, first had contact with colonizers that they had long flowing hair and um, it helped them for their hunting. Mm. That, it, that it allowed like in terms of just different like um, picking up um, information. But when the colonizers then like cut, cut and shave their ha hair, they became um, much less skillful mm -hmm. in their hunting process because they didn't have that same connection. So you have me thinking about what some of the talismans can be mm -hmm. to like pump up, like whether it's putting something like I don't have on my desk, like cowrie shells or things like that to um, channel. I've, I've seen um, in only photos and books that when people want to go into particular spiritual trances, mm -hmm. um, that they put certain things on their head and in their hair or even um, different chalks or um, mm -hmm. dust that can allow someone to travel like internally much more deeply but i'm not skilled in that yet i need to get like initiated into something. well don't go too far now doctor you don't go too far now you'll be calling me to help pull you back now i'm a little spiritual like stay on stay right here with us yeah. i'm not there yet i'm not there <laughs> well check this out because i want to give the brothers something okay because you know, I think with hair, sometimes people just automatically think about women right off the bat. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's what I think. So I took this from your page as well, where we're talking about the psychology of black men in hair. Something that I love that you had posted with this is the voices of black men are repeatedly muted about their personal self-care through hair grooming in academic and clinical conversations. So tell us in, 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 in what way do you mean here? Just kind of go deeper and expand on that. Yes, it's, it's, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. Oftentimes we think about hair care as being something that's feminine and only women do. But I basically argue that men think and do their hair more than women in terms mm. of shaving their faces or going to the barbershop. I know that my husband goes to the barbershop way more than I get my hair done because he's there like every week, every other week <laughs> right. um, versus I can't remember the last time I got no I, 
think I got my hair done in uh, June. <laughs> and those men and those men let you know when they got their hair done too, because they look they think they be fine, don't they? They think they look good, don't they? They, be- <laughs> they do, they do, they do look good. Um, and so just to even think that you know the uh, uh, barbershop is a black man's country club, right? This is their the way that they have their own like setup conversations, actually engage in physical touch, like affirming, make jokes, entrepreneurship, selling things, like. It's its own news channel, right, in terms mm-hmm. of the information that's spread in that space. And so I think that that um, we don't always include them talking about how they take care of themselves through hair. Like, again, even self-care is sometimes seen as feminine. If a woman's talking about, oh, I'm going to go get my nails done, but we don't equate it with a black man then going to get his beard trimmed, right? Mm-hmm. That it ha- can have just as much of a transformation, but um, we don't ask them about it. We're not asking what does it feel like to go through that experience? Do you feel better after? Is that a way that you cope and deal with stress um, in life? Um, Is this a way that you can get away from some of the maybe like work or family stressors that this is a private time? Cause they also they also key key in that that barber shop and keep up like they say women just do it but they they gossip in there too talk about the <laughs> they sports do. they so, do they absolutely do I want to bring up a stat that you had it says that thirty seven percent as of twenty twenty about thirty seven percent of black men reported that going to the barber shop connected them more deeply to their father. And I think that's beautiful because so many times we hear about the connection of especially black girls and sitting between their mother's legs and that, comf- you know, just that comfortability with just feeling loved. I mean, pain, too, if you're tender headed, but, you know, it's just a good memory for you at the end of the day. So mm-hmm. that was just beautiful, though, to know that. Yeah, yeah. I um did a research study. Um, that was Washington, D.C. based, but anyone could take it virtually, where I had a group of my research lab students go to about like 90 hair salons and barbershops in the um, Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. And people um, could tell stories about their hair experiences. Mm-hmm. And in there, yeah, basically over a third of the black men said that they recall these early memories of going to the barbershop with their fathers and how that made them feel bonded and connected mm-hmm. that this was like a rite of passage or um, that this is how they spent time together. Maybe they weren't having a whole bunch of conversations, but they took them to the barbershop on this like weekly or every other week basis and got to observe like their father with their friends and um, how that made them feel included and like, special um, right and probably dealing with a different um dealing with different age groups of men too maybe the first time they hung around older men and heard them talk about things maybe their mother wouldn't normally let them hear yes. i think a lot of boys grew up in the barbershop as well you know you, you know how old men talk dirty you know it's no telling what they <laughs> and i think even when some people look at their father and they say he maybe wasn't the best i think every now and then a father who maybe is not the best or probably pick his son up and take him to the barbershop every mm-hmm. once and again yes yes yeah yeah mm-hmm. And I have to be honest with you, like growing up, I thought, you know, when I was in high school, you know, girls really didn't even have weaves like that. And and maybe I didn't because I had long hair. I mean, I saw some girls that probably had a little bit, but back in the day, wigs seemed like they were for um, 
Hollywood, you know, actors and actresses and for your grandmother. But now these young girls, you don't know how many young girls, especially in New York, I've met that have beautiful hair on their own who just choose to wear wigs. Like one girl I asked her, I'm like, you have hair that's manageable and it's nice. So why do you wear wigs? And she was like, I just do. It's easy. But it's like to me growing up, a wig that was for old ladies like we didn't want nothing to do with that and just to see so many vibrant young people and you know we are in this part of society where it's like black women have fallen into this trap that i want to say the white woman has created because we already had the lips and we already had the booty so i don't know why these black women are going out here getting it because like my butt is flat but hey i got big boobs so it's like you can't have everything you know what i mean you got to be happy with something if you're gonna love yourself like you know it's like you gotta say i got this but i can't have that i can't have everything you know what i mean so um hell i don't forget my point because these people get these people get this. Why, why do they wear wigs we're talking about wigs right yeah wigs is just i just I just feel like it's getting us in a whole lot of trouble. Like I can see for like news anchors and people on the road who have to have that protective style for a long amount of time. Uh, and we'll talk about work discrimination too with hair, but do you not see a problem with this? How many women are just choosing this synthetic hair over their own? Mm. We do have to question the why. Um, I think that everybody wants to look good. I'm convinced people like looking good, mm -hmm. but we have to be mindful of who determines what looking good is. Is mm -hmm. it is it the 15 year old black girl in New York in high school? Does she determine it or does Hollywood? Right. Mm -hmm. um, and recognizing that there are sometimes these unrealistic advertised norms where you don't see anybody's hair half the time in movies. Right. That that it's no one in that cast is actually showing their real hair, especially if it's a Tyler Perry movie, right? I think men and the women are wearing wigs, bad wigs. <laughs> right? But Tyler said he paying folks to do the hair, but... <laughs> but but he, they're not doing it well. Um, you need to call Dr. Phil for them natural hair dudes, right, Doctor? <laughs> yeah, and so so to even think about that um, these these desires are created. As you know, the... the, the Hair care industry, there's a lot of money and wigs are expensive. So if you can create a desire for wigs and people are going to be spending their money um, on wigs. Yeah, the, I think the black hair, hair care industry is a multi-billion and maybe even trillion dollar industry if we look at it globally. Um, and to create this uh, white norm of long, straight hair um, is is psychological right in terms of how have we been convinced that this is the way that our hair needs to look and again i understand that the use of costumes or uh i understand the concept of protective styles but there's a point where um we have to question like why why people are doing this at a deeper level i want you to think about what i say when i say this and we don't have to get too deep into it but i just want to stay on the surface has the definition, and I don't even know if I should say in psychology, has the definition of self-love changed? Mm -hmm. Because self-love is being taken as in, I changed this about myself. Mm. But now I have transformed myself into this. But it's like, shouldn't self-love start before? I mean, the transformation I, I I mean, I know we can um, 
grow and and everything but i feel like like we'll take the wigs and we'll say that this is me but it's like it's not you you know it's like it's you that's not what's skin deep mm. and i just feel like sometimes we're changing these definition of these words and and i don't know i, I it just uh, we're, it's, and it's not really self-love anymore it's it, it's that i fix something that i hate about myself mm. And now I've made myself into something that I, I I wasn't, but I'm gonna say that I love this thing because I couldn't love the beginning, the, the what I was in the beginning. Mm. Now you can tackle that any way you want, Doctor Fee. I'm, I'm, look, I'm just I'm I'm just here to give you the just to throw it out there. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm just thinking about the role of white supremacy and capitalism in shaping the way that we see ourselves. Mm. Um, there is a psychological disorder called body dysmorphic disorder. And you have me thinking about that. So body dysmorphic disorder basically is where someone um, is so concerned by a perceived defect that they're, they're constantly trying to change their look. A perceived defect. There's not even necessarily a real um, defect, right? Oh, I don't like right there on my foot or I don't like this part of my hair that people obsess over it. And so um, there's is something I'm not, I'm not interrupt you. Is this something new? Because I'm, I promise you, I, it was somebody I knew at one job that had this and I had never heard of. It. I heard of anorexia and that was the closest thing I could relate it to. But it seems like just like every couple of years, there's something new that they putting out here for. It's like we're mentally weak because it's something new for them to put in our minds for us to grab it to say we have a problem. Like it's that lady from that was on the real world, the first book. The first couple of real words, the one who's mean, Tammy, she has body dysmorphia. Oh, she does. What Have you mean? not seen her? She's this small. She has diabetes as well, or something like that. But she has body dysmorphia. Mm -hmm. She looks like she's not doing well, but she's so into her career right now, so she's focused on that. But she really looks sick. I don't know how anybody could tell her to continue working. But anyway, my point is, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't no, have put no, it in, but no, it concerns me. Celebrities, a lot of celebrities have it, whether it's Lil' Kim or Michael Jackson had it real bad. Right. And I, you know, get that. But um, in terms of thinking about how this shows up, I do like what you were saying. I want to follow up what you're saying, too, in terms of the, the book that contains all the different psychological disorders has been growing and growing and growing. So it's um, the one that I use or psychiatrists and psychologists and social workers use is called the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual um, mm -hmm. for uh, Mental Disorders. And basically it came out in 1952. In 1952, let's say there were about like 100 disorders. Mm -hmm. um, the most recent version um, came out, I think in 2021, even like a revision of the fifth edition of it. And there are like 400 disorders. Mm -hmm. So in like 60 years or 70 years that there have been, you know, it's, it's quadrupled. Yes. Now, some say that this is just, you know, refining the science and getting more specific in the differences um, between diagnosis, saying differential diagnosis, different um, criteria, but others say it's the society that um, some psychologists and just people in general argue that this country in particular is depressinogenic. We use the language depressinogenic, um, basically that it causes depression, it causes psychological disorders. Mm -hmm. um, you've heard of like carcinogens, 
right? Mm -hmm. If you look at different hair or skin products that it has things in there that will actually cause you to have cancer. Cigarettes, yeah. yeah. And yeah. so the same sort of thing that, that they argue that there are, there are factors in the society that are causing people to have psychological disorders. And so I think that that could, you know, contribute to it growing or even, you know, the medication industry could mm -hmm. affect things growing. I'm not any conspiracy theorist, but you ever um, stay up late at night and watch, um, well, back in the old school uh, TV, they would have these infomercials or different things where it's a commercial and you're flipping through, it's probably on BET or something. And it's like, <laughs> Have you ever stayed up late and watched music videos? You could have staying up late music video disorder. Like, and it's like, yeah, right, right, right. I'm staying up late and I'm watching music videos. Oh my gosh, I have that. So I do think that there is a commercialization of psychological disorders as a part of getting people to take certain medications, mm -hmm. right? Because I worked at a mental health clinic when I um, went to Howard as a, a research assistant. And I loved Wednesdays. Why did I love Wednesdays? Because that's when the pharmaceutical companies would come, bring us lunch. We'd have all types of gyros and burritos and all these different okay. things. They'd give us bags and give us like all these different types of merch. And so they were basically coming there to pitch these new drugs to the psychiatrists on staff who could prescribe the medication. And so to recognize that, that again, there's so much commercialization in terms of getting people to buy a varying range of psychological or psychiatric treatments um, and to go and ask your doctor for it. Because have you noticed in those commercials, like, go ask your doctor if you can get this. Right. Um, and so I think that that's even a factor, too, that the, that book, the DSM, is made by psychiatrists. And so psychiatrists are the um, mental health professionals that are the only ones who are allowed to prescribe drugs. So I'm not allowed to prescribe drugs. But to think about the book is based on um, prescriptions um, of medication. <laughs> Little Dr. Fia, this was so freaking beautiful. Please don't stay away as long this yeah, time. Okay. This this has to be a regular thing. I even when I showed my husband our first um live, he was like, That's the best live I've ever seen. So he really? loved your work and was like, You got you have to do it again. You you're definitely for the people. And so the energy that you bring and the research that you brought too, I wasn't even ready. Like, oh so so this this was very fulfilling and satisfying for me. Well, thank you so much. That means so much to me. Um, I want you to tell everybody where they can reach out to you on social media. And will I be wrong saying, did you write a book or no? I, I, got, I got a few books. I got a few books. Um, so. well, which one do you want to promote today? Let, let's, let's say that. Let's go with Strong Black Girls. That's a book that I have um, that talks about Black women's experiences in school but you can follow me on social media um on instagram at dr afia dr underscore a f i y a um you could also follow psychotherapy um psychotherapy.org is our website to figure out how to actually take classes with me which is september 13th and 14th that's our next um series of classes uh, yeah, you can follow at psychotherapy and then also mayat psychological services mayat is the name of Egyptian deity or a goddess. And so um, I named my company after that about balance and order. Um, so yeah, my psychological services, that's the website and the social media handles.
Sister is deep. Okay. Okay. Sister is deep. Y'all, don't forget to hit the like button on your way out of here. Don't forget to leave me a comment. Let us know what you thought about today's show, what you thought about the topics and all that jazz. Make sure you, if you haven't already subscribed, share this link to a friend, share this channel to a friend. You know how we do. Sharing is caring. Dr. Fia, I love you. Beautiful Sunday. Continue to be the person you are. You're so wonderful. I love your smile. Mm -hmm. I like your hair. I like your energy. And I like your husband now because he gave me such great compliments. So tell him I said thank you so very much. <laughs> All right. Continue doing what you do. I will. And we out of here, guys. Peace.